Welcome to the Jewelers Podcast, the podcast that talks to jewelers, retailers, and industry supporters about their experiences and insights into the jewelry industry. The Jewelers Podcast is brought to you by the sponsors of the Jewelry Industry Summit this July on the 9th and 10th at the National Wine Centre of Australia. Head to jewelleryindustrysummit.com to register your ticket. Now for our next episode of the Jewelers Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Jewelers Podcast. Today, we were chatting to Dr. Adriana Traviati from Safira Diamonds in Melbourne. We think you'll really enjoy this episode. Dr. Adriana is a wealth of knowledge uh, with her history and experience in geology and diamond exploration. So you will love listening to this show. But before we share it with you, Brett and I have some really exciting news. We've just launched a brand new hybrid event for the jewelry industry. It's called the Jewelry Industry Fair, and it's going to be live in Melbourne at the Timber Yard on the 1st and 2nd of August. This event is going to be such an incredible fusion of digital advancements in the technology that we've been building and also with this just beautiful, tangible, face-to-face industry event at the Timber Yard. We have a host of beautiful suppliers from all over Australia joining us at the fair and also some stunning, luxurious experiences for you to enjoy when you're visiting as well. So please head to our website and register your ticket to attend. It is for trade only. So head to our website and grab your ticket at www.jewelryindustryfair.com and we can't wait to see you in Melbourne on the 1st and 2nd of August. But for now, please enjoy our next episode of the Jewelers Podcast. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. We are so thrilled, Brett and I, are here with you again today to welcome Adriana Traviati from Safira Diamonds. Hello, Adriana. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's really, really great to have you on, Adriana. I've, I've, we've talked about it a little bit. I've been sort of saying I want to do this with you. So, I'm, um, yeah, I'm glad wow. we've been able to make the time via Zoom today and get you on board. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's my first podcast. I feel honoured for you guys to invite me on and <laughs> like to explain a little bit more about what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm drooling over your website at the moment. It's just beautiful. So <laughs> all these rings that I would love to be owning and wearing. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> very, very impressive. Tell us a bit about, about your business. So basically, Laura, I am, I guess, a bit unconventional. So I'll start off by saying that I was never actually meant to be a jeweler. So I refer to this as a bit of a happy accident in my life. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, I um, started off at university um, at Monash Uni studying geology or the geosciences as part of science degree. Um, And I found it so interesting to learn about all of the different rocks, the properties of the earth and where precious resources come from. So I devoted a lot of my time and energy into you know, learning about those really important earth processes that give us these precious resources. And one of these precious resources is, of course, diamonds (laughs) and uh, precious gemstones. Um, So I was always supposed to kind of be a geologist, but here I am, I found myself uh, jumping ship a little towards the end (laughs) of my studies and becoming a jeweller. Amazing. That's a great story. I love that you were a geologist and, and yeah. so passionate about these. I want everyone to have one. So <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah. 
And, and I guess it's worth mentioning too, like you were working as we all do, I guess, you know, while we're studying where we have our side gig, uh, but you were working in, in the jewelry industry as well prior to going out into your own business. Yeah, absolutely, Brett. So as I was pl plodding along in my undergraduate degree, I realized like a lot of students that I had to work uh, to supplement my finances. So I got a job at Tiffany & Co um, and I was working in the fine and engagement department there, uh, which was great. It was a little bit high pressure at times with sales and things like that, but it really gave me a good in about diamonds and jewellery and really ignited that strong interest for me in uh, jewellery manufacture and, you know, the properties of diamonds. So I found myself at the beginning of 2017, at the beginning of my PhD, really wanting to try and develop um, a business where I could help consult with people to give them information about diamonds and look at potentially starting to manufacture my own jewellery. Um, so this started off as a bit of a, a habit or a, I should say a hobby, um, which was great. And then to my surprise, it started to become more and more busy um, to the point of where by the time I finished my PhD studies, which was uh, in September last year, I realized, okay, well, I either need to abandon the business and work, you know, in a grad role in exploration, or I need to embrace this 100%. So my little side hustle or my little hobby that I've been cultivating for the last three years has now ended up becoming uh, my whole life yeah. and my employees' lives as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose what you've learned too with your, with your PhD doesn't go away either. So, yeah. you know, you can always keep that and use it, you know, in a, in a yeah. time when the business is, you know, operating without you in it all the time. So yeah. Great options. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're underplaying yourself there. Like when I, when I watch your, your social media, you're very active. Like you do a very good job uh, you know, updating everybody and, and creating content and uh, doing high quality images. Like you take your, your work very seriously. I know that. Like it's, it's really high quality, not just work you're doing, but also what you're showing and how you're presenting it uh to your audience so i think that's why you are so popular and also successful too like you, you do a really oh. good job so. yeah Th thanks brad it's um it's been one of those things that regarding the social media side it's been something that i have had to kind of learn over the last three years as we all know as all jewelers know you know photographing diamonds is always a really <laughs> challenging task and working on social media can sometimes feel like another full-time job in itself mm, so yeah. yeah so it has been great um for me to work on that and I've been you know lucky enough to be able to cultivate a little bit of an audience um, but it's certainly something that I really want to expand on in the future and do just a little bit more work on I've I'm a little guilty because over the last few months my my work has kind of um, expanded so I've neglected my poor old Instagram for a while and, Absolutely. and moving forward do you think you're going to keep your toe in that geology field though do you want to keep doing some work like particularly diamond, like that's that's our industry. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think it would be maybe helpful for me to kind of explain what I, I was, what I mean by geology to yeah. the to the people yeah. listening because it's your a little bit, projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, my specialization or my field of research is if you've ever had a ultrasound of your body, you know that they're sending sound waves into your layers of skin and muscle and tissue to produce a black and white image Mm -hmm. so my field of study basically is like an ultrasound of the earth's surface so that allows us to look at the different layers of rock um, down to about 12 kilometers so depending on you know what data set we're looking at but basically that data set is called seismic and the interpretation of those black and white images allows us to determine where key resources are in the earth. So this might be energy resources. It could be, you know, diamond deposits. It could be uh, precious metal deposits like platinum deposits, for example. So we use this kind of technology to help us find where we can mine and exploit those resources. Mm. So It is a very interesting field of study, even though it's quite technical, it's very creative because you need to interpret those images of the earth, um, which is really, really cool. So because that's my field of specialisation, which is referred to as exploration geophysics, I plan on doing some work potentially with De Beers or with another private company here in Australia, looking at a few of the diamond deposits that we have Mm -hmm. and figuring out how we can actually best exploit the remaining resources. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you think about, uh, for example, a kimberlite deposit, they're often in the shape of a carrot underneath the earth's surface. And it's all about trying to extract as much of that diamond bearing material as we can before we shut the mine down and rehabilitate. So that will be a little bit more of the work that I plan on doing as more contractor style um, arrangement. Yeah, fascinating. I actually was speaking to somebody last week who said um, that the the kimberlite deposits are what we would always be looking for when it comes to trying to find diamonds. But they've realised that some of the argyle stones weren't in kimberlite deposits. They were in a different type of stone. And so they've been not looking for that before. Is that something that I'm on the right track with understanding because it's really interesting because then there might actually be all these other diamond deposits that we haven't found before because we don't we're not looking for that stone is that right yeah absolutely Laura so another thing that we're starting to see as well is a different type of deposit called lamprolite and lamprolite hosts that diamond bearing material Um, But then another way that we can also explore for diamonds, particularly in an area that's already been mined, um, and one great example of this is the Ellendale deposit. Um, For example, when you have a kimberlite or a lamprolite that's eroded, so that means that the rock has broken down over time, with rainfall and water movement, we can actually see parts of that original deposit dispersed over the landscape. So these are referred to as um, uh, alluvial uh, deposits where we find those little bits of diamond bearing material 
quite far from the original mine site. Yeah. So this is another really interesting mode of exploration, which is something that I know is being investigated at the moment, in particular around the Ellendale site, which is really exciting because we have the ability to find stones that we otherwise wouldn't have been looking for. Reminds me of like a Hansel and Gretel trail, you know, following, yeah. <laughs> following the diamonds to find the pipe, you know, find the lamp or what. Oh. Um, what did you call it again? Kimberlite. Kimberlite. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. We'll do, our, we'll, we'll do our study after this, Brett. We'll, we'll get right. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Because obviously there's been a huge shake-up with the industry with, with Argyle closing and, Absolutely. you know, this, this investment stone that obviously isn't going to be around anymore and there's a limited number. And, you know, the fact that there might mm -hmm. be some different options is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I find amazing is that there are so many people that obviously bought, you know, Argyle diamonds, you know, uh, you know, a decade or two ago, you know, when the mine first opened, that probably have no idea the value that they're sitting on today. Mm. Um, so I think that, you know, education as well around that would be fantastic because I know that there would be a lot of mums and dads <laughs> sitting, <Yes>. on, <laughs> sitting on pieces that one. they, you know, don't realise the intrinsic value, which is fantastic. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, the closure of Argyle doesn't spell the end for Australian diamond mining. And I think we're seeing a lot of new potential coming out of uh, Ellendale is certainly a space to watch. That's very exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing more about, about that. We might talk to you about just geology today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you guys find it interesting because a lot of times when I say to people I'm a geologist, they go, oh, so you just what? study rocks. It's so much more than rocks. It's the sparkly ones. It's yes. the not so exciting ones. I don't discriminate. <laughs> I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. Do you collect rocks? Do you have a, a selection of your favourites at home or is it more just precious? Like, of like course she has a rock collection. You'd have yeah. to have a rock collection. Well, I wouldn't actually be a geologist unless I had an appropriate <laughs> rock collection. Yes, my favourite is a beautiful omphysite bearing eclogite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got a series of... One, of opals I have some beryl in situ um I love one of the other stones that I love so much that I don't get to work with as often as I'd like is actually natural emeralds oh, I find them yeah. truly amazing um so hopefully in the future I can actually start working more with emeralds yes. um and colored sapphires as well Oh, that's so fascinating to hear, yeah, that story. And, and obviously you are not going to leave geology on the sidelines while you are running your business. I think it's definitely in your in your gut, in your heart. So, you know, you can hear that in your voice. It's definitely not going to go anywhere. So yeah. it's very exciting. I think that's such a good thing to add to your customer offering as well is that you've got such a rich understanding of what you're selling them. Uh, and because you're so passionate about it, you're not going to be, you know, selling them something that's not a quality piece. And that's, that's a, yeah. a wonderful sales point. And what, what I always like to say to people is that, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about natural stones. For me, that's really, really important. 
Um, and what I always like to say to people is the amazing thing is that, you know, no two stones are ever going to be the same and would have, you know, experienced a very wide um, and broad geologic journey over millions of years. And I think that that's something that is just so special. They're like little gifts from nature. And I think it's amazing that I get to work closely with those stones every day. Um, whenever I receive a new shipment of diamonds or precious gemstones, there isn't a single time when I open the parcel paper and I don't actually feel excited. <laughs> so <laughs> look, maybe that will go away when I'm like 10 years into no. my career. No. No. It doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> I was just thinking the exact same thing when you're saying it. It's like every time you can't wait to open up and see what, yeah. what is it? What's it look like? Because yeah, you know what you've ordered, but they're all so different. Like you have to look at each one and eyeball and think, okay, this is the goods. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, you know, one of the amazing things about being jewelers, and you would certainly, you know, experience this all the time, Brett, is that you get to create a piece for someone that's so special um, with such amazing stones. It's a really uh, I think one of the key things about job happiness comes from the ability to make an impact or feel fulfilled in your job. And I think that being a jeweler, that sure, there are certainly highs and lows, but one of those amazing things is that you feel fulfilled because you're actually passing on a really important piece that's going to make someone really happy forever. Mm. So I think that that's one of the really unique things about this job that I really like. Yeah, and probably isn't really spoken about enough in that, um, you know, often they're, you know, they're obviously customers can be difficult sometimes, everything else, but yes, yes creating a piece that that they are going to wear for every day, it represents something that they are, you know, very passionate about. It's their love, um, they're, you know, representing their soulmate, and they'll potentially pass that piece down from generation to generation. And that is significant. Your mark is then on that family for the rest yeah. of the their lives that's incredible so it's completely very yeah very special thing yeah there's, there's a lot of responsibility that goes into each piece and I, I don't think you you make it as a jeweler unless you take it seriously yeah absolutely great power um, great responsibility brett you're like a superhero yeah, <laughs> yes <laughs> well, brett is really like a superhero because He's not only sourcing the stones, but he's also doing the manufacturing. I think my craftsman um, is just incredible and I couldn't do my job without him. So there's certainly a lot of responsibility on me, but also on, you know, the team that's manufacturing. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, jewellery making is, it's really an art. And I hope that, you know, through people like Brett and, and young jewellers, that they can actually keep that craft alive. Agreed. Um, because it's just really, really special. And I think particularly having a handmade piece is, is so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got a team of jewellers on site where, or do you work with remote jewellers? How do you work? Yeah, so basically I have my consulting office, so that's located in Collins Street here in Melbourne, and then our workshop is actually separate, um, okay. and it is also here in Melbourne as well. So we have um, two craftsmen uh, that work there full-time, and they do all of the work for me 
um, and all of the designs that we put forward, we work on together. And we have a really good mixture of handmade pieces as well as some CAD made stuff, depending on the job. Um, but I'm really proud to say that all of the pieces that we produce are manufactured here in Australia. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really wonderful because it makes servicing and, you know, after sales care really easy um, and also supports Aussie jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you. Yeah, and particularly like the last 12 months we've had some of the, some of the customers I've actually met over the last year have had those sort of issues where whoever they've been going to previously is sending work all, all over the place and they can't get yeah. things back for months because it's going overseas. So yeah. if you're in your own local town, there's no problem with that. Like you, you just take care of you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I had one of my clients, um, she came in for her wedding band, but her engagement ring was purchased from, I'm not sure where, but it took her nine weeks to get her resize back because of all of the COVID, you know, delays and then shipping and things like that. So I think that's also something that is beneficial about, you know, having a local workshop, certainly it makes that mm. a little easier. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what you guys are doing, you know, speaking to a variety of jewellers and particularly um, the work in the Young Jewellers Group is a fantastic resource for people that are looking to get involved in the industry and where they can ask questions and not feel, you know, like they can't. Um, you know, certainly when I started in the industry, I, I because I come from quite an unconventional background, <laughs> there was it was a steep learning curve for me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we got there in the end. But I think certainly having you know a group like Young Jewelers Group is is fantastic for young people to be able to ask questions, particularly people that are still training as well in craft. Yeah. Tell us about how you made that leap yourself, like going from you know studying, working on the counters to then getting into sourcing stones and doing up your own designs and, and manufacturing pieces? So it was, uh, it got to the point where I thought I could start to, rather than just giving advice for people about, you know, diamonds, which is way more complicated than the four C's. <laughs> um, whenever anyone comes and talks to me, I talk to them about, you know, at least six C's. They don't all start with C, but that's what I call them. Um, so there's, a, rather than just giving advice, I decided that I was going to try and, you know, look at sourcing my own stones and potentially, you know, bringing forth my own designs. And so my mother is an interior designer and she said to me, okay, well, if you want to start, you know, your business, you've got to get yourself on a plane and you need to attend a trade show because that's where you meet suppliers and that's where you can actually really start. So I decided to, I just had a look up online at, you know, diamond shows or fairs, um, registered my business name and went from there. And I got myself on a plane to Hong Kong. I met a whole heap of suppliers. Now, obviously having no background, um, no formal training, that was quite a, a very steep learning curve for me yeah. because I didn't realise that that's actually not the way things are done in the industry. Um, but slowly over time, I kept returning. I had to stay really resilient during that process um, and ended up forming some really good relationships with a few excellent suppliers. 
um, and actually then started to, you know, talk to a few different setters, talk to a few different craftspeople here in Melbourne until I found my craftsmen. Um, and that's when I actually started to bring the stones in to see clients, to actually have the pieces made here. But that, that process was not... Um, at the beginning, I would say it was not super easy to just go and, you know, throw yourself in the deep end. So I yeah. probably wouldn't suggest that to someone, but <laughs> it was certainly the way that I did it. If I were to do it again, you know, uh, or the conventional way, I guess, would be to approach, you know, wholesalers that are already in the country. Um, but, you know, I was really glad that I did it and I did it the tough way, but it really allowed me to grow very quickly and, and expand faster, I think, than, mm. than the usual method. <laughs> and Hong Kong's a wonderful experience anyway, just to, you know, as a first snapshot of the industry, to go there and to be surrounded by the volume of, you know, high-end product and people that are there, it is just you know, it's a whole experience in itself, really. Yeah, yeah, it certainly, it certainly was. And it was quite um, overwhelming at times because you're, you know, moving through this trade show and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of stones and different suppliers. And, you know, how do you know, you know, who to use and, and about the, you know, the procedures in place and even things like the pricing system using yeah. RapNet you know, and, um, you know, price lists. This were, these were all things that I just threw myself into the deep end and it was me and my best friend in the hotel room frantically Googling, you know, okay, what's this and that? <laughs> that was happening back that. in 2017 and here we are today. <laughs> so I, I like to look back on that time because, and I like to be really open about that because I think that, everybody starts as a beginner and it's okay to not have all the answers mm. but just back yourself and give yourself a go and I think it's a bit about learning on the spot too you know yeah. I think that there's some really rigid ideas about how jewelers need to begin and you know the method that they need to follow but honestly my advice to any young jeweler would be back yourself do something a little crazy push yourself out of your comfort zone because you're going to learn so much faster if you do that and make sure you bring your best friend or a support person along and try and have some fun along the way love it that's such good advice such good advice you gotta jump in the deep end sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it i think <laughs> yeah exactly right um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Adriana, was this on your website, you talk about obviously the proposal experience and, and all of that. Obviously, you take into account with your clients the whole journey. Um, talk us through what you obviously it's not just the ring for you. Talk us through that process. Well, it, it's interesting that you bring that up, Laura, because what I was finding consistently with my clients and bless them all, you know, you have someone coming in and picking up the ring and a little, you know, a little nervous turning the box over in their hands and going, how many ideas, you know, <laughs> do you know what people generally do to propose? And... I think that for me, that's so important that my client feels like 
not only am I their jeweler, but I'm also a bit of like their friend as well. So <laughs> that yeah. they can talk to me about these kinds of things. It's not like a, well, here's the ring, off you go <laughs> situation. Yeah, so yeah. I found that we had a lot of guys and girls coming to us and going, how am I going to propose to my partner? And so what I started to do was ask everyone, tell me about your proposal. What did you do? So I started to amass a few different ideas. And my lovely sister, Sarah, is just absolutely phenomenal. She's one of these people that knows every spot, that has the best connections, um, that is so super organized she can arrange something at the drop of a hat and I said to Sarah you know Sarah you've got so many good ideas you know if my clients wanted to come and have a chat with you about you know what you would recommend would that be okay and she said yes of course so what she started to do is provide advice to a lot of my clients and even doing simple things like say you're going away somewhere just having someone pop a nice bottle of champagne there ready to go so that you don't have to stress, you know, so that you're not, because a lot of guys and girls, when they're coming up to proposal time, start to feel understandably the jitters <laughs> and then yeah. arranging, you know, what you'd like to have there, whether it's something that's just really intimate and special or whether yeah. it's something a little bit bigger where we have family and friends involved. Um, so I kind of did some cross referencing with Sarah and now she's wonderful she provides advice to my clients um, and also gives them you know some contact details for where they might like to go or whatnot so that we can kind of carry that process over um, to make the whole experience lovely for them. That's fantastic. Yeah. And obviously then it, it creates such a beautiful proposal story for them too, that hopefully they share on their own Facebook and Instagram yeah. and tag you in. <laughs> um, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I always say to my clients, once you get engaged, can you please send me the corny photo? Yeah. I want the photo of you guys together. <laughs> I, I I have always loved like proposals and I love weddings and my clients laugh at me because I'm like oh my gosh you're planning your wedding oh my god tell me about it <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's just about making that whole experience as as easy and as stress-free as we can yeah. and obviously memorable uh, yeah. for the partner or the person getting engaged as well yeah, 100%. And your Instagram too, like as much as you have photos of your jewelry, you've got photos of your clients, whether it is that corny engagement shot or the wedding day shot. And yeah. it's, it's really real, your Instagram, like even all your videos and photos of your jewelry, like it's, there's nothing super manicured or retouched. It's, it's very raw and real. And it's like, and it looks amazing. You do such a good job of it. Like I'm envious of you there. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Well, the only thing that does get kind of retouched in full disclosure is the lines on my hand. <laughs> because if any if anybody knows that they have tried to take a picture of their jewelry, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just my iPhone, but you see every single line on my hand. So I I, I just do a nice blur on the hand and just keep the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, 
but otherwise all of the diamonds and everything are photographed always in you know natural sunlight or down lighting and there there's no filters on the videos so that you get a true sense of like the color of the stones as well um and also you know the clarity of the diamonds too so I try to keep that really raw because when I talk to clients about different rings then I can send them a link and say okay well this one was h color and this one was d color you know these are the links and these are not filtered videos these are videos in natural sunlight which is a great resource actually for Mm -hmm. people that need that reference point Mm, absolutely it's very hard for them probably to understand what the difference is between the color and the price unless they can see it that way so yeah that's a good yeah good good tip actually to try and shoot in sunlight if you can yeah 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 and we have we have a number of clients that come from interstate and we also deal with a lot of international clients so just this morning I was on the phone to my client in Germany in Dusseldorf and so it's really important that I can say hey have a look at these links and these are comparative images of this carrot weight um, in this shape and these are what the color grades are that's a great resource as well for when you're dealing with somebody who can't come in to see you mm-hmm. so yeah that's why I try to keep it all pretty much untouched um, except for the lines in my hand what's next on the cards for Sephira Diamonds so I'm so I'm really excited because we've got some great plans for this year. Now that I've finally finished my PhD, um, <laughs> and I can focus a little bit more on this kind of full time, really excited because we've just hired someone to help out here in the office, which is wonderful. Um, and what that means as well is that I'm going to have more time to look at, you know, expanding. Um, you know, some doing some educational type videos. So that's some free education and things like that. Um, And potentially looking at launching an online store, um, which will be fantastic for some of just our core styles that we sell all day, every day. Um, And looking at developing a few new signature designs. So I've been spending a lot of time on the sketchbook. Um, Obviously our Slimline Solitaire is our signature design. Um, We're looking to add a few other um, a few other styles to that, which is always a little challenging for me because I have a science type brain. So I'm really trying to work out that left side of my brain and, and be a bit more creative. That's right. But um, certainly I've got more time now to invest in doing these kinds of things. Mm, that's very exciting. That's that's a great fun job, that product development job. Yeah, you definitely do have a style too. Like I know I can pick your jewelry if, if somebody was to line them up um like you say about your slimline style like it does it does have a particular style your jewelry like it's it's all about the diamond like it's all about those big stones looking doing the talking and looking amazing yeah yeah th- thanks so much brett for me I, I kind of just try to keep well obviously because it's custom made i'll make whatever you know my clients asked me to make um but the style really because I'm so passionate about the stones I really want the stones themselves to be you know the talkers mm-hmm. <laughs> if I can say that so yeah. for me it's r- the core of my style or my design is all about just really trying to amplify or show off that stone 
the best I can, um, which I like because, you know, we've been doing a lot of work. We've been seeing a lot of golds um, coming back in. When I first started in business, our white gold was really our most popular. And now we're starting to see a lot of kind of like two-tone settings as well, which is lovely. Mm. So as styles change, you know, I'm finding that I'm trying to adapt to that while still making sure that we're keeping the center stone as the focus. So just trying to also stay true to our style, Mm. obviously within the demands of the customer as well. I think you can do that too, you know, for for other people listening who, you know, maybe don't want to change their style too much. You can still adapt the way your style is shown just by photographing it differently. I mean, you've got some beautiful shots of that three rings that, you know, sort of stacked together and they're very classic, beautiful designs, but you've made them modern just by showing them in a very different sort of format by stacking them together. So it's a, it's a way of sort of doing product development without um, and yeah. really that new, which is, is um, yeah, is a, is a very clever way of going. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. It's, I love to experiment with different um, stacks, for example, stacking mm-hmm. is a very big trend that we're seeing at Beautiful. the moment. Um, and, you know, I love working with fancy shapes. Fancy shapes are really they have my heart. I, I love fancy shapes and I love it that you don't get a statement of the cut on the certificate because you have to kind of be like Sherlock Holmes. And it, may, it means that you have to do a little bit more digging. But when you find an amazing fancy shape, it's like, it's a blessing. It's so exciting. <laughs> so I love, I love working with fancy shapes. And uh, I guess Back on a, a geology question, we're talking about alluvials yeah. and things before. Do you have any upcoming sort of geology work as far as like we're talking about possible diamond mines coming up Ellendale Way? Like, is there any hot stock tips you can give us? What's coming up? What <laughs> should we invest in? in market? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is well, a really good question, Brett. What should we yeah. Where <laughs> should we be saving? <laughs> Well, you know, recently um, I had the pleasure of going up to the Kimberley um, and actually going on site at Ellendale, um, which was fantastic. And the company there that's been doing a lot of work there is called Gib River, um, Gib River Diamonds. And um, I think what they're trying to do is really pick up on that exploration. And I found that trip really amazing um and also that the owners and everything are are lovely people um so basically obviously tiffany and co for a period of time i'm not sure how long had control of the ellendale mine and were mining from it for their yellow diamonds Um, but now obviously tiffany and co isn't operating there and so i believe uh, gib river was able to take over part of that um, mine um, and is potentially looking at doing some more exploration there. I think there's a there's a variety. There's a lot of information available online um, through the ASX releases and things like that. But what they're doing up there sounds really really exciting, um, and it's great. I mean, it would be great to keep Australian 
minds open. I mean, we have some of the oldest uh, crust or continental crust um, in the world that dates back to nearly 4 billion years old. So, you know, we're very unique here in Australia um, and that reflects in our geology. So it would be amazing to keep mining exploration, mining and exploration open, um, particularly in the Kimberley area. I think there's a lot there that's yet to be discovered actually. Yeah, I, I do wonder what will, what will come out of it, you know, whether it'll be more yellows or, or, or what's going to come out of that sort of region. Like, are we going to be lucky enough to strike another pink? And I think that we're very, we're very lucky in Australia to have, you know, these amazing mines. And what's so fascinating for me in particular about our Ellendale, as opposed to something like our Simi or, you know, our Argyle, um, in terms of the pinks, is that we really have the ability to mine diamonds that have that really pure pink hue and even more complex hues like our purplish pinks as well mm -hmm. which is even rarer again um, and even to have things like blues and reds this is really really rare as opposed to some of the stones that we're seeing coming from overseas which have more brownish overtones or orangish overtones um, certainly in our yellows, we have browns, we have greens. Um, so the beautiful thing about the stones that we're really exploiting here is that they're really pure in tone and in hue, which makes them quite unique. Love it. Love, love hearing more about Australian sourced materials and Australian jewellers. That's wonderful. Um, Adriana, it has been absolutely a pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Jewellers podcast. Um, hopefully we'll speak to you again. I really want to talk to you more about geology in the next <laughs> episode. Um, so we might, uh, we might get some more questions for you about all of those yeah. things. And um, we'll speak to you again. Thank you again so much. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me and listen, listening to me talk about rocks. <laughs> You've left me with a, a few rocks I need to go on Google and see what these things are now as well. <laughs> yeah, Brett and I have some research to do. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I hope you enjoy and thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Jewelers Podcast. If you'd like to join us in the Jewelers Podcast, head to our socials and send us a message. And don't forget to register your buyer's ticket for the Jewellery Industry Fair in August in Melbourne this year. Head to www.jewelleryindustryfair.com. We'll see you there.